All right, let me open us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you so much for your mercies toward us. Thank you for one day in seven to rest from our work and worship you and fellowship with your people and look into your word. And thank you that even in the midst of the just the real reality of life in a broken world with our own sin and the sins of others and that your word gives us guidance and wisdom and and that it gives us hope as well and, and power to change and hope in the midst of our sin. And we pray that you'd help us this morning as we think about our work, that you'd help us to grow more into the image of Christ and see how you're even doing that work through the challenges that we face in our workplace. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, we're, we're on the home stretch. Uh, three weeks left, counting today. We've been thinking through some of these issues that uh, Greg Gilbert and Sebastian Traeger cover in their book, Gospel at Work. It's a good, great book if you haven't read it. I had one of my coworkers read it recently and I think was helped by it. So, um, really solid resource. And today uh, we're just really going to deal with two chapters that they um, cover um, you know, after giving kind of a theological foundation, they they just ask questions and answers, and or they they ask questions and try to offer something of an answer. So there, they have chapter seven. This is how do I handle difficult bosses and coworkers, and chapter eight, what does it mean to be a Christian boss? So we're going to talk on those two chapters in the heading of relationships at work. Maybe your workplace is kind of like this one. You've got the evil director of human resources. I'm tired of calling the employees resources. It's too complimentary. I'm thinking of something along the lines of livestock or human capital. I don't want them demanding hay. Good point. We'll go with human capital. Uh, hopefully your workplace isn't that um, demeaning towards people, but inevitably you've got problems in your workplace. I sometimes joke with... No, that's not really a joke. It's... Um, but there's, I say it lightheartedly. Like, if it weren't for the people, then our, my job would be easy. In some ways, the actual work itself is easier than in relating with, figuring out how to respond to and co- coordinate with all the different types of people that you come across in your workplace. So, um, those two questions: How do I handle difficult bosses, coworkers, clients, vendors? Uh, what do you call criminals? You know, people. You know, all, all. No matter. You know, depending on your workplace, you're going to have different relationships with people. But there's going to be some of them that are difficult to deal with. I don't know. Do you guys have anyone come to mind? Hopefully, I don't. Not to stir up any kind of bitterness in your heart, but I want you to think about those difficult people, those difficult situations that come up in your mind as we talk about it. I mean. You know, if the Bible is really true, and really is gives us guidance and direction for life, then it ought not to just be, you know, something that sounds good on a Monday, uh, Sunday morning, but something that actually equips you to deal with the reality of your Monday or your, t- you know, whatever is going on in your workplace, including the difficult people. So the main point, you know, to answer that question in a, a sentence, biblical worldview teaches us to think of them, that is, those difficult people, as people made in the image of God, loved and loved by Him, and frees us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're going to get more into specific. It's much harder to put into practice than to say, but that's our first main idea or question. And secondly, what does it mean to be a Christian boss? I think some of you 
I mean, probably in different roles. Some of you are supervisors or have been supervisors, or whether you are officially or not, inevitably in your career, you'll, you'll have some amount of authority over others, whether that's formally recognized with a title or just informal through your influence. So in a sense, it's inescapable. I mean, somebody's going to have to be in, in authority, in a, you know, whether that's being a manager, supervisor, CEO, sergeant, etc. So what does it mean as a Christian? Well, how will that look for, how should it look as a Christian? So to summarize that in a sentence, um, actually two, but um, any authority you have has been given you by God. Love your neighbor as yourself is operative even in the boss's chair. So we're going to think through those two issues. First, maybe more thinking of it as like one under authority. When you're, all of us in a sense are both under authority and probably in authority in some capacity. So if we think of ourselves in those two scenarios, how do we, how do we handle relationships there? Let me just offer though before, so we're going to think about employees and then employers, but then before we even get into either one, just a few Theology 101 reminders, which are things that you probably, you know, you, you know if you've been in the church a long time, you've heard these things over and over again. But sometimes there's a disconnect in that we don't necessarily connect what we know in our heads and, you know, in church to our experiences on at work. So um, the first thing I'd like to remind you of, um, your coworkers, boss, employees, clients, customers, vendors, etc., are both image bearers of God and selfish sinners uh, you know Genesis 1 28 all, all people are made in the image of God so you know, everyone you work with has capacity as made in the image of God to reflect his goodness and beauty and justice and all that's right you know, they have capacity to do that as image bearers um, of God but every one of them is also cursed with, fell into sin with Adam um, and all of us, so they're corrupt, they're guilty, they're going to act selfishly, they're going to look out for themselves. You know, that, that, doesn't, that shouldn't, you know, here in church that doesn't surprise you, but, you know, when you get that, you know, caustic email or you, you, you hear that harsh comment from a coworker or that, like, passive-aggressive, you know, drama, you know, it... It may catch you off guard, but really, you know, it's just, you know, you ever do this with your kids, like, I can't believe you're, you're acting this way when, you know, you're not really thinking biblically. You know, of course they're going to act this way. They're sinners. You know, your coworkers, your boss, your, you know, they're all, they're all sinners. Um, and so, we can, as a Christians, I mean, as we think about that, that we should have, um, Something of a hopeful realism, like realistic that people are people, they're sinful, they're going to act in sinful ways, um, and that, you know, if we set our, if we have unrealistic expectations, if we expect people to, to not act that way, then uh, we'll inevitably be disappointed um, or taken advantage of. But hopeful as well, that even in the midst of all that, there is redemption and, and God changes people, um, and he, he uses those things for his purposes, so... Um, a lot of times when I'm you know, dealing with some high-stress situation at work or conflict, you know, if you start just step back and think, like, what does this person really want here? Like, what is it that's... You know, usually there's some... Oftentimes it's selfish, maybe motivation that's driving them to behave a certain way, to save face, to save money, to you know, whatever it might be. But, uh, you know, your coworkers, all these people that are difficult to work with are acting... Um, 
oftentimes from sinful motivations. And then you're acting from sinful motivations too. You know, we're not immune from that. We're part of the problem. So, um, you know, hopefully, I know, hopefully it's not a pattern in your lives, but I know for me, I looking back, there's been times when I've been the difficult person, you know, when I've been the cause of someone else's stress and conflict. You know, they're, they're you know, complaining about their challenges at work, and I'm one of them. I mean, hopefully not regularly, but there's been times when that's happened. So, um, so that's one, one point to um, kind of hang our hat on. Secondly, you know, this is just a biblical principle. We think about the providence of God. You can see this in many places in Scripture. Um, Hebrews 12 is what I'm thinking of. But God uses affliction. God uses trial, challenges, um, in those things just in general. But underneath, you know, challenges and affliction, um, we could a subset of that would be the struggles we have in the workplace with difficult people. He uses that as a means for sanctification for his people. Um, you know, what father doesn't... Um, you know, every father who loves his children disciplines them. He, he puts them through struggle, in a sense, to refine their character. And he says in Hebrews 12, so that they would share in his holiness. Uh, which is nothing different than what... I mean, Paul says something similar in Second Thessalonians. Uh, he's talking to the church there, who'd actually been through a lot of, of affliction. They'd been persecuted for their faith. And he says to them in Second Thessalonians 2, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The main point I wanted to make is that you're called to salvation, but salvation isn't just like a one-time event where you're saved and then you know, you're right off into the sunset. You're saved, then he says, through sanctification by the Spirit. That's a process, an ongoing work that God's doing in your life so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going somewhere that we have a, a telos, a, uh, an end that God is working toward bring us to obtain, to share in the glory, both to see His glory and then also to be transformed into that glorious likeness. And yeah, I don't know if you've connected. Sometimes I don't connect this um, in my own mind. Like, that all sounds good. We're here at church. But then you go into, you know, you're going to have a stressful day tomorrow at work because of some irritating coworker or a deadline that gets changed or something gets thrown on your thrown onto your plate by your supervisor that you weren't expecting and you already had a full day. And, you know, th- all those, whatever that might look like for your Monday morning is part of this. It's part of the sanctifying work of the Spirit that God is doing to shape you into His image, the, the loving discipline that He provides. So those are two pegs I want to put up there to um, offer you to think about. Now I'd like to, to just jump into these two different roles. We're going to start with employees. Um, this I'm relying pretty heavily on some of the things that Greg Gilbert says here in his book, but he, uh, they offer four marks of an employee who is serving Jesus in the workplace. Uh, we're going to look at Philippians 2 and Colossians 3. They suggest these four things. You know, this isn't an exhaustive list. I'm sure there's more that could be said. So they, they suggest sincere submission to authority, godly competitiveness, genuine humility, and determination not to complain. So we're going to start in Colossians 3. This is a passage we've been in before. But in Colossians 3, I want to just discuss those first two items, a sincere submission to authority and then a godly competitiveness. Someone want to read for us? Colossians 3, you can just read the, someone read the whole thing. Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1. 
I'm servants, obeying everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of ISIS as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, and that you also have a master in heaven. Thanks, God. As we go through these couple passages, I want to suggest to you, I want you to think of the, you know, it, whenever, whenever a thought comes up in your mind, like, you know, w- but what about, you know, this? What about my situation? What about, you know, how does this apply here? Kind of keep that thought. Uh, I want to hear that, actually, because I'm going to go through these, these passages, and then I'd like to offer some of my own moments of that as I've thought through this, like, you know, what does that mean for X, Y, and Z? But... Put, uh, set, set that aside, jot, your, jot a note down, and we'll come to that after we look at these two passages. Okay, so the first mark they offered they suggested was sincere submission to authority. Uh, what does this mean? Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. What's the motivation suggested, or commanded, I should say, not suggested, commanded here to bond servants? Remember, bond servants and masters, it's a little, it's a different social dynamic, but it's analogous in many ways to employees and employers. So as we're thinking about being an employee, we're commanded to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. What's the motivation that Paul exhorts us to? Our fear of the Lord. Yeah, our fear of the Lord. Does he exhort you to obey when what you're what you're asked to do makes the most sense? When it seems most efficient, when it aligns with your own goals for the day, your own your own plans. Uh, no, you know, obviously not. He says, um, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters. And the motivation, as Adam pointed out, is, you know, there at the end of verse 22. Uh, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You know, so as long, I think we can say, um, as long as your boss isn't asking you to do something wrong, he's not asking you to sin, um, that if he's not, he's not asking you to do something that violates your conscience, then our disposition as Christians should be to sincerely obey, to 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 honor our the authority over us, to align our, ourselves, to to make you know him or her, whoever's in authority over you, successful by by supporting their their leadership and, and doing what they ask you to. Now that doesn't mean that there might not be a time when you you might speak up if if you think something is going in the wrong direction, but you may not have that you may not have the opportunity. It may not be appropriate for you to do that. And even if you do, your supervisor may not listen. He may dismiss what you have to say. And I, in those situations, you know you notice here he's not grounding this in the worthiness of your earthly master or the rightness of what they're asking you to do. It's not in the sense of right or wrong, but in the sense of like that it's the wisdom or the, the best course of action. It may not be the best course of action, but we're called as those under authority to to obey and submit to those over us. You know, I can think of one employee over the years who it seemed like his performance always got better around November. Coming up to the end of the year, like we do annual performance reviews end of November, and that's when we do like raises and bonuses and stuff like that. So, you know, that's what Paul is saying not to do, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, not not so that you can 
you know one up your one up your coworkers or put yourself in a position to to gain something but with sincerity of heart fearing the lord so a sincere submission to authority should be a mark of us as christian employees what about i said the other thing you know the second point i made was godly competitiveness what do you think i mean by that and what like what's the what's well first what's the opposite of that like uh, have you guys experienced that in workplace if you're not not godly competitive what's the what's the opposite end of that say it again yeah okay so there's one end where you just say i don't care you know i'll just you know put in my time and get a paycheck and you know and then there's another end of it too that's also you know they talk about both idleness where you're like i don't care it doesn't really matter and then idolatry where it's everything i live for and i'm gonna you know gain it at all costs so depending on your workplace, you may see one of the, one of the other more prevalent. In some environments, maybe it is that apathy. In others, it might be a cutthroat, climb the ladder, walk over people to get where you want to get to, to get that promotion or, or whatnot. So I'm, I'm thinking here of verse 23 where he says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You know, I thought of the example of Joseph being one who was, he actually was a servant, a bond servant, who was in Potiphar's household, both in Potiphar's household and then in prison, worked heartily. And God gave him favor, we're told several times in the Genesis narrative, but he worked hard. And as a result, he gained more responsibility. He was given promotions, as it were. Not that he got paid more, but he got more responsibility. So I think one one mark of a Christian in the workplace as an employee, it's not that we just have to kind of uh, roll over and not care about our own, like the quality of our work or our, you know, just let other people rise up ahead of us. I think it is okay and it is actually good for us as we work heartily. Uh, that may mean that you get, you do excellent work, you do your work well, you, you, you may put in some extra time when you need to. And... If you have a desire to do your job well, to improve in how you do it over the years, that may result in opportunities to advance or promote. You know, you may have an op- you may have ambitions to pursue that promotion, and that that's not necessarily a bad thing, as long as it's something that you're that you're pursuing, as he says here, as for the Lord and not for men. So um, there is a a line there that you cross. And I don't know, depending on your profession, you may not see that. You may, that may not come up as much. But a line where you cross where that becomes something that you're doing for your own personal ambition, your own selfish gain, whether that's money or prestige or you know um, recognition from others. So I think a mark of Christians in the workplace is that we will, we will work hard, and that may even mean personal growth, promotion, and in a sense, godly competition. But when you work hard and that advancement passes by, the promotion goes somewhere else, you, you don't get recognized, you remember you're ultimately doing it for the Lord and not for men. And knowing that it's from the Lord that you will receive the inheritance, that's really the reward you're working for. Any questions on those two or comments on either sincere submission to authority or godly competitiveness as marks of Christians in the workplace? All right. What about Philippians 2? The, the other two marks that they suggested are genuine humility and a determination not to complain. You actually see both of these in Philippians 2. 
I'd like to have someone read this, and while you're you know deciding if you feel like volunteering for it or not, um, let me just. There's a verse uh, that I also thought of that's related to this in Romans 12. Paul's talking to the church, and he tells members of the church to not think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. I don't know if you've noticed this in the workplace. I guess I've noticed because I'm in a I'm in a position of authority as a business owner where I'm like reviewing people's performances and deciding on raises and things like that. And I found that it's most people not I mean those not those who are more aligned with you know the biblical worldview are are less prone to do this. But naturally, I think we're all in a place where we are prone to value ourselves more highly than we should. <laughs> we think we are the only ones who know how hard we really worked or what it was really like for us. So it's easy for us to think highly of ourselves. And um, whether you're an employee who's like putting in the time and feeling like your boss doesn't really value you, or whether you're the employer, if you're the boss and you're like, I, my employees don't really know all that I do for them or all that it takes for me to provide, you know, provide for them. All of us have a temptation to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. So in that light, does someone want to read for us Philippians 2, 3 through 8? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is your, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of the servant. All right, so uh, grammar lesson. It's always good to remember your grammar when you're reading texts of scripture. What are the what are the commands? The imperatives. Okay, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's an imperative. They're all at the beginning. That helps. What else? Count others more significant than yourself. Yep. Count others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves. And then in between there in verse 4, look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. So those there's the exhortations. You know, do these things. Don't be don't have selfish ambition. Don't be conceited. Count others more significant than yourselves. Um, have this mind among yourselves, and then he's going to go on. But you know, that's that's the the law in the sense of like you know, go out and do this. This is what God calls you to as Christians to live this way. But notice how where it's all grounded. Now, you know, this is this is kind of an, you know, you, it's important to see these relationships in Scripture when you're looking at text. You know, here's the commands: do this, live this way. But now, here's why. Here's here's your not only your example to follow, but why you should do it anyways. And look look at what Christ did for you. You know, look at how he humbled himself, how he emptied himself, how he made himself nothing, how he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You know, whatever humbling responsibility you have at work, whatever you have to do that you feel like is beneath you, that, you know, if they really knew what I was worth, they wouldn't, you know, whatever, whenever that, that thought arises in your mind or your heart, you know, this is what scripture offers to us. Christ is, is the example for us of one who has humbled himself infinitely more than we'll ever know, infinitely more than you'll ever be asked to. I mean, I know it can be grating, you know, you see someone else who's maybe you're like in a sense, your equal or your coworker, you're in, a, you're in, you're, um, you know, of equal 
standing maybe in your workplace and they get a they go they get a promotion or get recognized or you're called to serve uh, in a way that feels beneath you um, this is what we're called to as Christians to remember and it should be a mark of us that make, that sets us apart I mean that this is a it's unique to have a, a humble disposition in the midst of uh, especially in the midst of conflict or where there's where there's difficulty or, or um, strong personalities all right that was the third mark, genuine humility. And the fourth was a, was a determination not to complain. Now, this one I had to think about a little bit, and I don't know if I know the answer, so I wanted you guys to help me. So you got to put on your thinking caps. Philippians 2.14 is a verse I, I used to memorize as a kid. Maybe if you've got kids, like, it's a fam- favorite one for parents, right? You know, in the midst of, like, the whining and complaining that's going on, Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I'm right there in the middle. Or I think another version, maybe the NIV says grumbling or complaining. So what is going on here? You might actually, if you have your Bibles open, look at Philippians 2, just the greater context. Um, You know, mostly when I heard this verse growing up, it was just like taken right out of context and said, here, don't don't complain, you know, stop doing that. (laughs) Um, Why would Paul talk about, you know, he's just talked about Christ being humbled and then exalted and he's you know why does he throw in grumbling or disputing or or complaining into the midst of this you know right after some deep theology like heavy things about Christ's incarnation and his exaltation and glory and all of that and then he just this seems kind of like simple like not not grumbling like uh, why why what's the connection or what, how does this fit in the rest of the passage any takers? Yeah. Right. Yeah, Melinda's pointing out the purpose after it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, or crooked, crooked, crooked and twisted, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Like here again, we're like into this exalted language about being lights in the world and shining as lights. And yet, Paul's saying that complaining is like the litmus test of whether you shine or not shine. Like, it seems... I mean, this is it. Ought, and for me, at least, it was a little bit of a uh, what's the it caused me to step back a little bit and, and think about you know what are, complaining in some work environments is just it's just kind of the normal way way you do you know something comes up somebody you know a difficult customer comes in you just you know you're you smile while they're while they're there and then they walk out and you complain about them or you know some unrealistic deadline gets thrown at you and you immediately just start complaining. Or maybe it's not even external. Maybe it's just this internal list of complaints. Um, I think... Does someone want to comment on why they think this is so crucial? I was looking at the greater context and I think it's all going back to Philippians one twenty seven. He's saying, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he's he's calling them to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And I think for Paul, he realizes that grumbling and complaining is not just some you know, minor character flaw, that it's actually reflecting of, of a, a deeper heart issue of discontentment with 
what God has given you, or not you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. It's really a, a selfish um, ambition. You know, the thing that he told us not to be, not, not to be selfishly ambitious, not to be conceited, to actually count others more significant than yourselves. If you actually live that way, if that's your heart, if you have the mind of Christ, then your causes for complaining and grumbling are going to evaporate. And turn it around, when you are crum- complaining and grumbling, you're not implementing what, you know, you're not living with that mind of Christ. That's been, I mean, that's something I've, I feel convicted about as I've been preparing this lesson, just thinking about all the ways that frustrating situations, especially when there's a history, like repeat offenses of somebody who is unaware of, you know, how they're, their behavior irritates you and it just goes on and on and you know not complaining not grumbling um for paul and for 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 god this is god's word you know not complaining or grumbling in that situation is how you shine as lights in the world and it really i was just looking back your attitude should be the same as christ jesus who emptied himself imagine him complaining and grumbling right about about what he right. had to accomplish through this, and you know, it's not Christ-like. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it seems like a sin that's not like other, compared to other sins. Right. It, it's not a big deal. We accepted our and, and others as right. well, where we wouldn't tolerate. Right. Things, but we tolerate this. But it is a, it is a bad sin. Yeah. Yeah, and especially when you realize what's underneath it. Why? What's really the the heart disposition that's leading you to to behave that way? All right. So, so how about some? Uh, but what about? Maybe you have your own. I have a few. But what about? Like, what so far have we said that just like doesn't seem to fit with some life situation in the workplace? Anything? Maybe it all fits perfectly. <laughs> Melinda. Okay, so what if you see something that really shouldn't be done that way? Right. When you see something and it creates a sort of hazardous situation. Yeah. Because there's high stakes involved. Right. Yeah. If it's a matter of like, life and safety you know your your boss wants to cut a corner and it's actually going to put people at risk like someone could die i mean and you bring it up and they you know what, what do you do in those types of situations yeah there are some i mean i had a, the first two that i had are kind of similar to that you know i mean first i guess is it okay to speak up about something like that especially if you know that that your voice won't be heard or you'll be there are a lot of situations like that in the workplace and i don't know what do you guys think is it right or okay or you know when, when you have a boss who's abusive controlling and so on something's unfair something's unsafe how do you handle that as a christian employee bring it up yep yeah yeah if it's unsafe you bring it up um if it's and there's going to be gray areas where it's not clear and you'll have to walk a line of either either you just you know, maybe you don't have all the facts, so you don't know, really. You have suspicions, you bring it up. If your complaints or your concerns are not taken into account, I think you have. there's going to be freedom you have as Christians, either to stay and submit, if, you, if there's not clear sinful practices that you feel like you're supporting as a result. 
or I mean, we live in a different world than the bond servants of Colossians three. You can leave, like you can quit. You're not a you're not a slave. You haven't uh, you have that freedom to to go find or to look for other forms of employment. And it might not be something you can do immediately if you have to put bread on the table. Still, you may have to, but maybe setting a goal of getting out of that job if you're in that type of situation routinely. And if you or if you have a controlling abusive boss, um, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with seeking other employment if that's a going to be a better fit for you. Peter too it talks about obey the good and gentle but also the unjust, but yeah. that's a servant. So Yeah. How, how much do you have to take before you're like I'm not in your Right. <clears throat> yeah, and I think right, that's where I think there's gonna be some gray area where it's not always clear. If you have all of the things being equal, if you have you know two per, two options of pa- paths, two positions, and one is going to put you in this difficult situation where you're having to deal with this gray area of sinful behavior that you may have to support or look the other way, I mean, and an- another way you don't, I think it's clear that we should choose the other. And if you're stuck in that other position, you don't have a choice. You'll have to use wisdom of ways that you can s- stand up for what's right. And it may cost you. You may stand up for what's right, and you may lose your job, or you may stand up for what's right, be ignored, and just have to do your thing. Continue to try to be faithful in what you what you're responsible for. What about is it okay to have ambitious career goals that include promotion? You know, we're trying to get more responsibility, more leadership. Is that okay for a Christian? Adam says yes. All right. Right. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But right, it is something to to be aware of. Uh, there's d- dangers to avoid along the way. Slips, right? If you have the opportunity to free yourself and become your own master, take use of it. But yeah. if you don't, be conserved in a mess like that where you're at. Right. All right. Um, I want to jump now. Is any any other questions about being an empl- a Christian employee? Anything we've talked about? I want to jump over to talk about when you're in authority as a Christian employer. What are some principles of authority if you are the boss? Or, like I said before, you may not be the boss, but you may have some authority, for, formal or informal, you know, recognized or not, um, in how you, in your workplace. So, four principles that I'd like to go over. Uh, authorities from God. Authority should serve and bless others. Authority should imitate Jesus. And authority should be sacrificial. Those last two are kind of two ways of saying the same thing. But I'd like to look at a passage from Second Samuel as we think about these first two points. These are the last words of David. If you want to read those last words, uh, this is ver- verses 1 through 4 of Second Samuel 23. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointing of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalms to the the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on the cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. That's good. Thanks, Raymond. Uh, we have da- David reflecting on uh, the end of his reign, the en- or the end of his life, reflecting on... Um, what actually points to Jesus, but his his reign as 
the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob. That's David. He was the the king of Israel who um, was put in his position by God. God had placed David in authority just like he puts everyone who's in authority in their position. Notice what he says in verse 3, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. He dawns on them like the morning light. Like the sun shining forth on a cloud this morning. That was yesterday morning. I went out. We went out running, and the sun is just brilliant, shining. Uh, you know, uh, this the sunrise was. You know, you could hardly look at it, but it was beautiful and glorious. And that's what he's saying. It's like when one rules justly over men, or when the grass f- first comes up in the spring. Everything turns green. What was be- brown and dead uh, becomes green and alive. Um, that's what it's like when one, when one rules justly over men. Now. I'd like to suggest that we see kind of a, a spectrum here. Of, um, I mean, what? Well, first of all, this this poetic language here, verse four. You know, all these things about morning light, the sun shining, grass sprouting from the earth. I think we're seeing here David use natural imagery to refer to to picture for us human flourishing. This so humans functioning in society together as they're designed to do, uh, as they're designed to, as they were made to do. And you, you notice he, we see that when they're under just authority, when, when there is someone ruling over them justly, ruling in the fear of God. You know, in our day, we're going to see you know, a whole spectrum from like abusive, self-serving authority, where this is just like, it's the antithesis of this verse. You see someone in leadership who's serving themselves, who's corrupt, and it's the opposite of this. It's everything that this verse is not. But then you're also going to see good authority exercised by both Christians and non-Christians. Men and women in leadership who are humble, who are looking out for the best interests of others. And you're going to see glimpses of this, where like things in this corner of the world, for this, at least for this short amount of time, are actually functioning well. I don't know, I feel like we've experienced that at sometimes in, you know, in places that... In, place that I've worked where it's like you're kind of you're running on clicking what's the right word running on all cylinders you're everything's clicking you're you know thing you're working efficiently together as a group and that that kind of thing happens we experience that at times for like brief moments in this world and I, I think what we see here the principle we see here is that that really that for that to happen well there has to be good authority there has to be someone ruling justly over men and you see this even you know, ultimately, what that points forward to, and we won't go there, but in Isaiah 11, this picture of the righteous reign of the true David, the greater David of Jesus, when he reigns, when he does, you know, it says in Isaiah 11 that he um, it talks about him not ruling according to what his eyes, but ruling fairly, um, judging the poor with righteousness. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then it goes on to talk about the new creation and human flourishing and the lion, the wolf dwelling with the lamb and all of this. But the foundation for all that is righteous authority exercised well. So that's where, you know, that's what it's all pointing forward to. But here in this, you know, wilderness wandering, we're only going to see it done, you know, we, we will see it done better at times than others, but it's always going to be partial. And there's always going to be sin both our own and others, that's messing everything up. But I think that there is, there is hope that we can, at times, rule justly. When you're in authority, when you have that opportunity, these things, I think, are, are taken 
What's the word? They're parallel. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. When you rule over others, as, as Paul said in, in Colossians 4, it's the same thing. You know, masters, treat your servants with respect, knowing that you have a master in heaven. You know, if you rule as one who is in the fear of God, you know that you have a master in heaven. You can rule justly and do your best to, to rule in a way that's fair and righteous, and this will result in, in the flourishing of those who are under your leadership. Like I said, partially, because there's always going to be problems this side of the fall. Okay, I'm going to speed up just for the sake of time. We're going to have Scott Raymer come up in about five minutes or less. But the other thing I wanted to comment about authority, if you're in a place of authority in your workplace, uh, Matthew 20, we see Jesus speaking to his disciples. He called, to, he called them to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You know, that's your classic, you know, abusive CEO, you know, do it my way, or you're fired, uh, that kind of thing. That's how the rulers of the Gentiles do. Their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." Notice this is really the same message as Philippians 2. It's just got reversed now. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Philippians 2, it's he humbled himself to the point of death. Now, and in Philippians 2, it's have this mind among yourselves. And here it's whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And it's very similar. You know, Paul's probably maybe reflecting on this. But, you know, the principles that uh, in authority... We're called to follow after Jesus. As he sacrificed himself, as he served others humbly, we're called to do the same when we have positions of leadership or authority. You know, you probably aren't going to have to, hopefully, uh, go die, literally, for your those under your authority, as Jesus did, uh, as he died for us. But there's going to be moments where it may feel like that, or in a sense, you know, I don't want to be overdramatic, but you're going to have to die to yourself, one of the, the biggest ways I've seen that in my roles of having authority is, you know, setting myself goals for the day, like things I want to accomplish. You know, maybe it's not, I don't feel like I'm asking too much. Maybe it's like three or four things. Like, I've got eight hours, I ought to be able to get these things done. And then the entire day is spent with, like, other people asking me questions or phone, you know, clients calling or, you know, problems coming up and uh, the unexpected, whatever it is, all those things that interrupt my day and then I don't get anything done and then I'm in turmoil at the end of the day, like, what happened? Why is the world not working out the way I want it to? That's, I think in those moments, if if you can relate with that, that's where these principles need to really sink into our hearts. That, you know, God has put me in this role, whether it's caring for children that interrupt your priorities or employees that you know interrupt your priorities in the midst of that that is what god has called you to do to lay aside your own time your own priorities your own to-do list um, and care for others one of the i thought of that this morning um, this is a book i read a few years ago top 10 mistakes leaders make but this was a a, there's like two sentences in here that like uh, really challenged me at the time and have shaped how I thought about that situation. I thought I'd read them. He's quoting here from another author, but he says, A few years ago, I met an old professor at the University of Notre Dame. Looking back at his long life of teaching, he said with a funny twinkle in his eyes, I've always been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I slowly discovered that my interruptions were my work. (laughs) 
I think that's I've been challenged to see that and that even in the midst of my my own priorities not getting completed that that is if you're in a position of of leadership that's a calling to serve others and to help them accomplish their priorities and to in a sense give up your own time to help them succeed so there's a lot of, a lot more that could be said about that and we don't have time to go into all of it there's problems uh, challenges when you're in that position there's going to be tension at times like you want to care for people and bless them but then someone's not performing what do you do do you kind of turn a blind eye let them do their thing uh, what's the loving and right how do you rule justly when someone is deserving you know justice <laughs> wrath it's I've had I've struggled with that over the years and I think the right response is that there there does have to be justice and that does mean for the good of that person but also the good of the rest of the organization there's times when those in authority need to um, call people to account cor- lovingly correct them and that can be a challenge what do I do when the way to rule justly isn't clear to me you know we're limited we're not the perfect infallible messiah who knows who does not judge as his eyes see you know we all we have is what you know the information we have incomplete information and then we incomplete reasoning and we have to make decisions and it's not always clear um, but even in the midst of that I think we as any time you have to make a decision you gather what you information you can you seek wise counsel you make a decision and then you trust that the Lord will will guide you through all that all right Scott why don't you come on up I'll read a few points of application as you make your way up so some takeaways just summarizing since the workplace is ordained by God as a place for sanctification and growth and holiness we can trust that the interpersonal struggles are part of God's wise purposes in shaping us into the likeness of Christ that irritating coworker he's God put he put him there God put him there to help you grow when we're under the authority of others we should have an orientation to support and encourage their leadership as though we are serving Jesus when we are in authority over others, we should have an orientation to serve and love those whom we lead, since we too have a master in heaven. And God gives grace to us in our weakness. I mean, if you've been in the workplace, if you're in authority or under authority um, in work, you probably have heard things that have, you know, you realize ways that you've not done, you've not um, obeyed as you should in the workplace. You've not modeled this for others. You've not supported authority. And even in the midst of that all, I mean, like any time that we realize our weakness and our sin, we, we ask God for strength, for grace. He, he, he's a loving um, Father who um, you know gives us discipline to help us grow. And then He gives us grace to help us in the process. So I'll close with that. And let's, let's uh, hear from Scott. All right, Scott. What do you want to know? What kind of work do you do? Okay. So my job is I'm an EMS pilot. EMS means emergency medical services. I work for a company called Global Medical Response. It's a large parent company of a whole bunch of subsidiaries. And the West Coast U.S. subsidiary is called out here, you might know this name, Reach Air Medical Services. Um, and underneath Reach is like CalSTAR and CalOR Life Flight. And so um, what I, my, my job is basically like one of the other line pilots, but I'm also a manager. So I am in charge as an assistant chief pilot for a company of all our fixed wing operations. So I fly airplanes, not helicopters. Everybody 
racing. Can we fly helicopters? But we have airplanes as well. So I manage and fly the airplanes. And so what our job is basically is to do emergent air transportation. So when someone needs to go uh, from one hospital to another, for the airplane anyway, the helicopter will pick up an accident right on the side of the road. <coughs> but um, so it could be anything from a premature baby born, you know, at 24 weeks even. Uh, up to people who are at the end of their lives or maybe in bad trauma accidents and things like that, um, heart attacks, strokes, you name it, you know, respiratory distress, all that stuff, just being moved from one hospital to a higher level of care, usually down into the big cities. So that's my job with, with two other people, with one pilot, and there's uh, two clinicians in the back, usually two flight nurses, and occasionally a flight nurse and a medic. We also do a lot of transports with use, um, university specialty teams or big hospitals like um, like those little babies I mentioned at 24 weeks, that'll be done by a specialty team uh, like UC Davis, UCSF, UCLA, Children's Madera, all the big children's hospitals. We fly all those folks in our airplanes and, um, and uh, with the little babies with an incubator system called well, nice Isolette, if you haven't seen one of those before, it's a life support system for a little so you'll be flying, and you'll have in the back, it's like an ambulance on in Mesa. Yeah, you can do even minor surgery in the back. Yeah, it's a life support back there. Wow. So there's a lot going on. I guess I didn't realize airplanes, I mean, people are getting transported, because you can't land at a hospital, right. typically, right? How do they? How does that work? Well, even a lot of helicopters can't in okay. certain spots. Um, for years, you couldn't land in San Francisco at the hospital, but now you can at one of them, hmm. at the main one you just have. But, um, you know, the air, and a lot of people ask, well, why, why the airplane, not the helicopter? And the airplane, right, we have to land at an airport, but the airplane can be used for longer distances. And the airplane's a lot faster than a helicopter, about two and a half times the speed. Um, and when the weather's bad, the helicopters usually are on the ground, and the airplanes are out there flying. Because we can fly in most of the weather. So hmm. that's the main difference, yeah. Yeah. But here in California, everything's so spread apart. I mean, our number one spot is we're going from here North Coast and picking up someone in Eureka, you know, Fortuna, Crescent City, and taking them down to the Bay Area or up to Portland, that kind of stuff. So we okay. see that a lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, thinking back to Genesis 1, God's good design from creation, how does your work reflect that? That's the hardest of your three questions. <laughs> <laughs> that one's a little harder. Uh, I would say, um, you know, one of the mandates God gave to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. And so with that, I think, comes the responsibility to raise the next generation up and to, you know, to honor God. And if you remember, Christ said, you know, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So I have one of those unique jobs, I think, where I get to do that uh, most days. So it, it's really a blessing that I get to use the skills that God allowed me to attain to help my neighbors, to help others in need. So it's kind of neat. I, I always, uh, if the patient's awake, I'll usually ask them who they are and talk with them for just a little bit as we're loading. And and then I get to pray for them as hmm. well. On this and sometimes even they'll ask for that, which is kind of neat. Hmm. Do you ask them, like, can I pray for you, or how does it, or do no, you just do it? No, ask me. I, I always pray for everybody when we're, when we're in route. Yeah. Sorry. Um, well, let me throw another one at you because you you said a second ago like the skills you were and you were you're using the skills that God allowed you to achieve. Like, you know, especially for you know young people, 
yeah. thinking like, you know, what opportunities are available to me? Well, those opportunities are actually sometimes dependent on what skills you have, right. and you actually have to do things to get skills. <laughs> um, how, um, how did you, uh, I know that wasn't part of the preparation, but right. you, you want to share like what steps led you to get that preparation and, and where you are? Well, so I, I, I think it was built in me, you know, I always tell people, you know, try and, try and pursue a profession that you, you know, you love. And so I always was interested in airplanes when I was younger. I just never figured a way to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, it costs so much money to get there and to be a pilot. And so um, eventually um, I, I just started pursuing it piecemeal a little at a time and I obtained all these licenses and and then you start working in aviation and it's, it's a building process. I mean, I've, I've been at my current job for 20 years. Um, I started when the company was itty bitty. There were about five bases, and now they're pushing 60 bases. And uh, and they have grown with it. But I also worked, you know, my first flying job, which is this is going to sound odd, but usually the first flying job for a pilot is to teach others how to fly. <laughs> you just learned, and you became a you became a flight instructor after you get several licenses, and then you turn around and start teaching. Um, so I did that for four years, and and got a lot of experience doing that. You learn a lot by teaching. How does the fall impact work in your field? Wow, yeah, that's a that's an easy one because you know, you know, the obvious would be the natural course of life, right? The sin uh, occurs. You know, we're all going to die physically, right? And so I see a lot of that. And the blood, you know, we're moving people as, as they're reaching the end of their life. But I also see a lot of the foolishness too. I see people who make bad choices. They, you know, done things that got them themselves trouble. They drink a lot of alcohol and ruin their organs, they tried to commit suicide and weren't successful, so they find, find them in the back of the airplane, that kind of thing, so yeah, there's a, a lot of that, um, and there's a lot of other stuff that's good, though, right now. it's always a thrill for me when I'm moving a, a pregnant mom somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, she's, we're taking her to some place where the, where the baby will have a better chance, right. that's exciting to me, that kind of stuff, little kids, that always gets my, you know, just love them, yeah, What about, I don't know if you, does it affect you personally? Like, you see your, as we thought about, like, idleness versus idolatry and, like, our own just sinful responses to our work. I don't know, have you seen that in your profession? Sinful responses to work. Uh, I don't, I mean, I suppose, um, 
Oh, that's all right. We can go on to the next one. Uh, I didn't want to, uh, for the sake of time. Um, how does the gospel reshape your perspective on work in your field? Yeah, and it, it's a, it is a blessing, like I said earlier, to get to, to you know, there, there are a fair number of Christians in my work, uh, and I get to hire all the fixed wing pilots and train mm-hmm. them and check them, yet they require us to be recertified every six months. So we got to re-qualify for a job every six months. And so I do that qualification for the FAA. Um, and so, you know, I have about third of my pilots are, are Christians, so that's kind of neat. I'm mm-hmm. always looking for those guys, but I can't you know, single them out. Always. Um, you can't uh, be discriminatory against yeah. other folks. But, but I work on those that aren't. <laughs> I try to. Um, but it's a little awkward. I mean, I get, like I said, I get to pray for patients, and I do that on every every patient transport. Some have asked me to pray on the spot before I start the engines on the aircraft, and I'll be right beside them and do that. Um, and my coworkers see that. I'd say about a third of the clinicians are Christians as well, and that's encouraging. Um, but yeah, the, it's a little awkward at times as a supervisor, though, because um, I have to broach that subject with my folks underneath me a little more gentle because, I mean, I've given out books to them and I've talked about that stuff, but I've also had it come back on me and say, why did Scott give me this book, you know, and uh, he was asking another Christian, so that's well, because he's a Christian and he cares about you, that kind of thing, but but um, it's an awkward position, I think, for me to put them in, mm-hmm. uh, unless they come to me and ask. So I look for that opportunity, but for me to, to put it out there, I have to be gentle, I have to be really yeah. careful. Right. Um, yeah. 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 I felt the same way at times. Like I don't want them to perceive that their opportunities are contingent upon right. how they respond to my right. sharing my faith. Awesome. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any questions for Scott? We're just at the end of our time, so we got time for one, or we can close in prayer. All right. Let me close in prayer. Our Father in Heaven, God, we thank You so much for Your grace and mercy and how You give us hope in the midst even of the challenges that we face in our workplace. I pray, God, that You would just help us um, reorient our, our thinking to see that those challenges, that the people that are, that are difficult for us to work with um, are actually Your instruments for, for helping us to grow, to sanctify us, to teach us patience and kindness and, and mercy. And I pray that You would be forming the, Your own character, that we would be humble as Christ was and, and serve, serving others as Christ did. And I pray that You'd help us, uh, you give us strength to, to grow in these ways and also just Your grace, that we would um, know that You meet us where we are, You give us the uh, you give us the strength that we need, and and then you forgive us when we fail. And I pray that you would help us in that from that place to go forward with with confidence and hope in your power to change us. In Jesus' name, Amen.